You're listening to the Invisible Condition Podcast, a show where we talk about unusually normal things. We have a goal of putting an end to the stigma that surrounds invisible conditions by empowering voices and stepping out of fear and shame. The term invisible condition is inclusive of non-apparent disabilities, diseases, and illnesses. I'm your host, Tim Reitzma. I wanted to say thank you to everyone who's donated to Keep Invisible Condition going. If you love what we're doing and would like to support, please consider giving the podcast a rating and comment. Share this with friends and family. And if you have the financial means, please consider donating. Head to InvisibleCondition.com to learn more. Now, back to the show. The first big one I can remember was I was uh, nine years old. I was at the book fair. And there was a book on the Hindenburg crashing. And there was these big photographs of it, full, full spread photographs. And I remember months that tormented me. The real famous picture of it crashing, or it had already crashed and the people are running and there's the fire. Unrelenting thoughts about that photograph at nine years old. And so you can kind of see how, how would I even talk to my parents about that? How would I be like, I'm scared of this photo or this photo, I can't get it out of my mind. You know what I mean? It just is a strange sort of, sort of thing. And it's also, it's also for me, it's a very quiet, it's a very quiet illness. I can just sit there and no one would ever know what I'm experiencing. You just sit there and you think about it. For me, it didn't manifest in panic attacks. It didn't manifest in anything like that. It was truly invisible. Is that you couldn't even tell by looking me at the face that it was happening. Okay. How many of you have used the phrase or heard the phrase, I've got so much OCD? Well, if you've used this phrase, after listening to our episode, I truly hope you reconsider. I admit, I had a narrow view of OCD before researching this invisible condition. And my guest, Alicia, founder at 33 and Kip, set me straight. Have a listen to Alicia's early experience with OCD before her official diagnosis, where she bravely shares her journey with obsessive compulsive disorder. We dive into her journey towards diagnosis and how she confronted the stigma attached to mental health. Alicia sheds light on the common misunderstandings and misuses of the term OCD in everyday conversations, emphasizing the urgent need for proper education and advocacy. Her story is not just about the struggles, but also about empowerment and the importance of seeking professional help. If you want to learn more about OCD and not the undiagnosed version, I encourage you to listen on. Alicia, welcome to the Invisible Condition podcast. Uh, I, I'm excited about our conversation today. I think I say that for every episode because I'm just so excited. Uh, today we're going to be talking about OCD, but before we get there, Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to everyone listening. And uh, I appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah, you know, we met through your podcast, uh, through one of our mutual connections, Sean Bernstein. And he was on an episode talking about um, living a life as a hemophiliac. And and uh, that show, that episode resonated with so many people. And and I know this episode is is going to draw a lot of attention and a lot of curiosity. So I'm just hyping it up. So people are going to continue listening. So, um, but um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into it? Yeah, absolutely. 
So I am a artist, designer, writer. I own a studio uh, that does branding, graphic design, marketing. So I do a lot of consulting for uh, nonprofits, uh, purpose-driven companies, technology, a lot of the more nuanced and very, say, niche or very delicate areas of industries that require a lot of the uh, psychology behind messaging and behind buying behavior. So a lot of marketing strategy, but I'm also a, a practicing fine artist. So my background is in traditional fine arts, um, photographer, illustrator. So it's a really weird mix of right brain, left brain, I call it, that some days I'll be drawing and other days I'll be writing a marketing strategy. And I'm so lucky to be doing what I do. I love it. I could I could feel the passion through uh, the video or through the audio uh, today. And, um, you know, I, I'm grateful that you've chosen to share your your journey with an invisible condition something that's not apparent with with me and with our listeners and when we were connecting weeks ago just to flush out the episode um, you live with with OCD and um, I'm curious if you could or I'd love to actually invite you to share a little bit about your journey uh, of of seeking a diagnosis and and where you are today. Sure. So I'm a child of the 90s, a millennial. I was born in 1987. So for those who lived through that time, generalized anxiety disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, ADD, ADHD, all of those, these very relative, some more well-known than others, and we'll get to that, uh, uh, mental illness were not very well known and were not very uh, recognized in children, especially in the 90s. So it's very apparent to me now uh, as an adult and after I've been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and OCD that I had this probably from the moments as far back as I can remember. So I was labeled as sensitive <laughs> or easily frightened. Uh, which is hilarious to me. To easily. What frightened. does that even mean? I'm, I'm easy, you're easily <laughs> like, frightened. That's like your diagnosis. A, so she's a sensitive. She's a sensitive child. So this is something I lived with and I I coped with, and uh, it's even more interesting that we're having this conversation now because only just a few months ago did I share what I had been going through with my my parents. So they didn't even have any. I mean it it was shocking to them when I told them what I had been experiencing uh, as far back as I can remember. So, you know, I, I, I coped as well as I could. I led a very normal life. And about 10 years ago, so in my mid-20s, um, for whatever reason, you know, the serotonin dips, the chemicals change, and it got really bad really fast. So one of the things a lot of people think is that in, in some cases, it's true that there'll be a trigger that will set it off. But in other cases, you could literally just wake up one day and your body chemistry changes. And next thing you know, your anxiety is a thousand times worse than it was before. 
So that's what happened to me. Uh, struggled, struggled, struggled for months and months to try to get it under control on my own. Didn't want to take medication because I didn't want to be one of those people that was taking medication. Uh, went to behavioral therapy, did any variety of uh, non-medication therapy to combat this. Ultimately had um, what I would consider, a, I don't want to call it a breakdown, but a breaking point one day where I had uh, convinced myself that I had gone insane and I was going to drive myself to the psych ward and got an emergency wow. appointment in with my therapist. And he said, you need medication. We can't do this anymore. This therapy, the behavioral therapy is not enough. So at that point, I was formally diagnosed with generalized anxiety and OCD. So for the past 10 years, I've been, you know, just chilling, <laughs> which I say, I say that jokingly, but, but uh, the Zoloft absolutely has uh, transformed my life. I'm curious. So you, you resisted medication. I did. And was, was it in your mind that, Hey, I can do this or I can control this. What was going through your mind at, at that time? It was the concept that, so there, so another, another stigma around this, another myth, especially within the creative industry is that if you take medication for mental illness, it will stunt your creativity, Right this sort of bohemian trope. You know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, the Van Gogh trope that you got to be a little bit crazy, right? To produce, you have to be a little bit unstable to produce very good art and to have your creative outlet. So for me in my, my misconception at the time, you know, I was young, I was in my mid twenties is that, no, I don't want that. There was this crippling fear that, I would change who I am as an artist and as an individual, I would become a, a zombie. But people always say that I don't want to become a zombie. It's absolutely not the case at all. So I fought it literally until I was incapacitated and you know, couldn't really function. Hmm. Well, thanks for sharing that. And uh, thanks for your openness and honesty uh, sure. through your journey. Um, I'm, I'm curious about, your parents and, and their reaction. Because I've heard from numerous people who want to tell their story, but their friends, their family have no idea about what they're living with, whether it's with you know, IBD or uh, mental health conditions or whatever it is. How did, how did they take, how did they take it? How did you, did you just, you know, walk in one day and be like, oh, hey, by the way, I've got OCD and generalized anxiety <laughs> disorder. What's for dinner? <laughs> uh, I walked in the door and, uh, hey guys, <laughs> it was, no, it was actually, it was, it was quite cathartic. Uh, uh, my, my brother and sister-in-law and their baby was visiting uh, summer of 2023 and I, I came out from Denver to visit, so we all were together. And we were just sitting around. Uh, it was later at night after dinner, and I can't remember what came up. But we started talking about mental illness and anxiety running in the family and this sort of thing. And I just started talking, and I just – they started asking questions. And I, I said, you know, I haven't told you guys this before. They knew – they 
I was very open about, you know, being on medication and my experience with, with um, therapy and everything I was going through about a decade ago, but they weren't aware of the level that it affected me as a child. So sharing that with them, they were deeply troubled that they didn't know. So I wish you would have told us. And at that point, what could I say? I'm 10 years old. I can't get this thought out of my head and I don't know what to do. It's like, you don't know what you don't know. And that's kind of where the, you know, sensitive, she's sensitive because I was so easily affected by uh, what I would see and what I would hear, which is a classic case of OCD. So they were deeply upset about it. And as are most people that are close to me when they hear about it, they're usually shocked uh, that I went through anything like that. So it was cathartic to me, probably not cathartic to them because they felt bad, but I mean, it was a long time ago. What, what could we do? You know, things are different now. Yeah, things are different now. Our medical system is very different. You know, I'm, I'm in Canada, you're in the U.S., so our, we have very different medical systems. Yeah. Um, we're not going to get into uh, the pros and cons of, of our systems. Yeah. Yet the advancements um, have really come a long ways. You know, I'm, I'm a child of the late 70s. I'm dating myself. And the same thing where, oh, you're just sensitive. Right. You just need to suck it up. Um, you'll, you'll get over this. You'll grow this. You'll grow It'll out of fine. it. Once, right? You'll grow out of it. Yeah. How many of us have heard that? Oh, you'll just grow of it. Oh, it's just a phase. And, and yet when you're living through that as a young person and not sure how to even express it, and you might not even, so there might be a couple of things. You might not, you might not know how to express it. And if you do express it, you're just going to get told you're sensitive or easily frightened. So right. why even bother share? Right. Absolutely. So no fault to them at all, you know, that, no. that just really nobody knew. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's why we're doing this, right? That's why we're, this whole that's podcast why, exists. That's why this whole podcast exists. And that's why I'm seeing more and more young people uh, being more vocal about the conditions they live with. You know, my niece who lives with type 1 diabetes was on an episode and she's in high school. And she's, she's like, this, this insulin I take keeps me alive. And when you put it into that perspective and just pause and think about that for a moment, this medication keeps me alive. You know, we're, we're not a show that's pro or against medication. We're not a show that's going to diagnose anything. Um, that's for your doctors. Please consult your, your doctor. We're not a self-diagnosis uh, podcast. We don't promote that. Uh, there's power in self-advocacy, knowing that there's something not quite right. You don't feel quote unquote normal. And, and you, you go to seek answers for that from the professionals. So yeah, no fault to our parents. You know, they did the best that they could, you know, I think for the most part, and you know, they didn't know. And, yeah. and here we are today, right? You decided to, you knew that something wasn't, wasn't quite right. It, you weren't living the, your version of normal. Yep. So you sought help. Why is it so important for you to share your story now? Sure. So I became more vocal about it in the past year or so. I think it's just part of a post-pandemic transparency revolution that we're having that we no longer have to be 
so we don't have to hide who we are as much. We don't have to be so polished all the time. We can share our fears with our coworkers, right? If we choose to, we can share our grief. We can cry, right? There was an article about crying, why crying at work is so good. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> to me, I've never really had a great experience crying at work, but you know, <laughs> I mean, I guess we could yeah. try to cry. I guess, you know, in the, in the age of a remote office, you know, or a remote work setting, you know, I could cry at home and at work and nobody will ever know. Yeah, exactly. So there's, exactly. It's, it's therapeutic. But I, mean, I think what you're saying is like, yeah, being vulnerable with people um, drives something that we, not nece- we haven't necessarily seen in our workplaces. Right. And for me, a culmination of the changes post-pandemic, what it means to be a business owner, what the relationship with your client means, the vendor-client relationship, especially within marketing and storytelling and writing, there has to be a, there's a real connection there. If someone's paying you to trust them with their business, to be the voice of their business, or to, to be the visual representation of their business through a logo or through graphic design, there's something very, uh, very conjoined there that I think is more than other other types of uh, consulting and other types of services. So I think it was just a, there wasn't anything specific. It was more of a gradual thing that I would, I was starting to be a little more vocal and sharing my story with uh, the occasional client, with the partner, um, various people in the workplace. And it was baby steps, right? It wasn't just a giant post one day. And some people do that. But for me, it took that confidence to realize that the confidence, first of all, the confidence of moving away from that pivotal moment in time 10 years ago where I had to get on medication immediately, but also the confidence of seeing these reactions and recognizing that people are okay with it and people are sympathetic and and people want to learn more, which I thought is really interesting they'll ask questions. People really want to know more about it. And I guess it's just emboldened me. And now I'm at a point in my mid thirties where I just don't even really care what somebody thinks. Like if you're going to judge me for it, then, then all right, see you later. Yeah. That's, that's such a common theme is, is people who want to share their story and, and then share, or I ask, you know, why, why is now the right time or what's been holding them back? It's fear. It's fear of judgment here, fear of offending others, fear of discrimination, fear of being misunderstood. And then the next sentence is, but if I'm judged or discriminated against, or maybe I lose a job opportunity, or maybe a friend doesn't want to be my friend anymore. That's not my loss. That's their loss. And we can move on from that. And so reconciling that in our minds of stepping out of that fear. And it's challenging. It's really, really hard. It is. It is, especially with mental illness where it's not so cut and dry and everyone's experience is, is different. And even with the destigmatizing of a lot of this, so OCD, for example, you know, one of the reasons 
you know, I felt so compelled to be on here is because OCD is so, it's not really known. Like I would say generalized anxiety disorder is decently known at this point. Um, Bipolar, uh, depression, those types of things. But OCD is in its own little bubble over here, like just hanging out and no one really knows what it is. Not no one. I would say the majority of people, the majority of the average person does not know what OCD really is. So to me, it was important to be like, guys, this is what it is and this is what it isn't. And we need to break down this stereotype. We need to educate and break down this stereotype of what it means to be someone living with OCD. Yeah, when we connected and you said, hey, I live with OCD, the first thought in my mind, which is very stereotypical, which is very, I guess, trendy on social media is, oh, I've got a little, maybe some OCD because I like things in order. And going down this rabbit hole, preparing for the podcast, I realized maybe I just, I'm a perfectionist or I just like things in order, which is not the definition of OCD. And so I pulled a definition just to ground us. And I think, I think this is a good definition. It comes from a government health website. And I'll just, I'm looking at my other screen. I'm going to read it here is uh, obsessive compulsive disorder is a long lasting disorder in which a person experiences uncontrollable and reoccurring thoughts, obsessions, engages in repetitive behaviors, compulsions, or both. People with OCD have time-consuming symptoms that can cause significant distress or interfere with daily life. That is more than just rearranging things on your desk so they're nice and neat and tidy. That is, as you know, I was reading some articles. It's like, well, cool, you're a perfectionist. Right. You're not. Uh, you maybe don't have OCD. So, when you hear that definition, and then when you when you see. Uh, when you see things on social media about, oh, everyone has OCD or to some extent, or I've got so much OCD. What's your reaction to that? <laughs> it's, it's like waves. It's every emotion within one second. It's humor, but then it's also anger, but then it's also apathy, but then it's also like determination. So it's, it's wow. like, that's these, a lot to unpack. A lot to, <laughs> lot to unpack. Right. And, uh, so it's, I sit here and it's like getting dark cause it's, you know, what we're almost at the solstice, which is also a very interesting time to be recording this the shortest day of the year. Right. And this is also a very challenging time for people with mental illness, um, you know, physically and mentally, but what these, these, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir with you. I mean, you're up, you how much daylight did you have today? Maybe an hour? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I'm not. I, I'm from the, the north, but not the great not white the north, great eh, north. for all the Canadians. <laughs> so, so back to your question. So the first thing I think is, you know, that's not true. And it irritates me that it's tossed around in that way. And there's worse injustices in the world. But I... Any, for anyone who says that, I would love for them to have spent just one hour in my mind during that time. And so this would have been like, I mean, I had bouts of it in my teens, bouts of it when I was a kid, and then throughout my 20s. Mid, mid-20s was the worst of it. And what that felt like. 
And I guarantee you, no one would be organizing their nail polish by color or amount of glitter and saying that's OCD. So I'm curious how, like, what did it feel like? How did, how did, how did this show up for you? What did it look like? What were, I just trying to get a glimpse into your mind. You don't want it. You don't oh, want I, the glimpse. I'm so curious. I'm so curious. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll give, I'll give you a couple of examples. So the, it, it's so intense and so traumatic. There's, there's, I can remember, I can remember pretty much every single thing that was a trigger for me that I saw or experienced. So I'll, I'll give you a few examples. So the first, the first big one I can remember was I was uh, nine years old. I was at the book fair and there was a book on the Hindenburg crashing. And there was these big photographs of it, full, full spread photographs. And I remember months that tormented me. The real famous picture of it crashing or it had already crashed and the people are running and there's the fire. Unrelenting thoughts about that photograph. At nine years old. And so you can kind of see how, how would I even talk to my parents about that? How would I be like, I'm scared of this photo or this photo, I, I can't get it out of my mind. You know what I mean? It just is a strange sort of, sort of thing. And it's also, it's also for me, it's a very quiet, it's a very quiet illness. I can just sit there and no one would ever know what I'm experiencing. Right. You just sit there and you think about it. It doesn't, for me, it didn't manifest in panic attacks. It didn't manifest in anything like that. It was truly invisible is that you couldn't even tell by looking me at the face that it was happening. So that's one of them. Um, similar vein, uh, throughout my teens, I would see something and it was like, this, it's being trapped in a nightmare. Like, so most people, you see something, you watch a horror movie, whatever, you see something, you know, that happens. Oh, you know, that's terrible. And then a few hours pass. Maybe for some people, some people love what horror movies and love that stuff. You know, they watch, they listen to murder mystery podcasts and all that stuff. They find it, some people find it relaxing. <laughs> you can watch it and then you just move on, right? You move on. For me, there's no moving on. It's a cyclical. And then you obsess. That's the obsessive. You obsess over it. You want to learn more. So, you know, once I got older and there's the internet, then I go down these rabbit holes. And it only feeds into it more. And then I'm researching something I saw that upset me. And then I see more things that upset me. And then it's truly, it's a waking nightmare. If, if I'm not focused on something specific, like at work, and I held down a job this whole, the whole time, you know, growing my business, doing things. Um, if I wasn't keenly focused on very, very challenging task, my brain would just instantly go back to it. And then it would start that cycle again. So it's, uh, it's my brain was not happy. It was not happy. And I think I told you this before. So what it does to you is that having these cyclical thoughts where a lot of times there's a component of harming someone 
or doing something really horrible. And so there's the what if. What if I did this? What if I did the most horrible thing I could ever imagine? Am I capable of that? So it's all framed in this what if realm that you are never going to be able to get the answer to. It's like, well, what, yeah, what if, what if that did happen? But there's never any, there's no guardrails. So you can continue to go down the path without any sort of realism, a realism bubble that a, a, a normally functioning brain would have, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, first off, uh, thank you for sharing sure. that glimpse into your life. I know that's a, a, was a vulnerable share. And I, I think for the li- for listeners um, and, and for myself, that just, that just paints a picture that I had I hadn't even thought about. I had no idea about. So thanks for being vulnerable. You're um, welcome. Second is, you know, if you hear that phrase, I've got so much OCD or everyone has a bit of OCD to an extent. Uh, after hearing Alicia's story, you got to just stop it. You got to stop that, that language. Like, I don't know what else to say about that. Uh, the word micro discrimination uh, um, has, is now, uh, you know, I've, I've heard it and I've been exploring this, this language um, that is discriminatory language. You know, we don't, we think of necessarily like that word discrimination and gender or um, ethnicity, but around disability, there's so much discrimination in the language we use. And um, yeah, wow, we got to stop. We got to stop this. Yeah, it would be, it would be really great to see a day where it's more, it's, it's discussed within the same vein as depression and Mm -hmm. uh, some of these more well-known mental illnesses. Because I do think a lot of people don't even realize the people that do have it a lot of times they don't realize they have it or if it comes on later in life so there needs to be the destigmatization of it recognizing it is a very serious mental illness but then also educating people who who could have it and are living this nightmare so the whole thing is just it's like when is this going to happen because it really seems ripe that there should be something at this point about it well, I mean, that's the whole purpose of invisible condition. And if we can change language in one person's vocabulary, and then that person changes to other people's vocabulary, and then it just creates this snowball, this this cascading effect. And, you know, I was reading, and again, in prep for this, I was telling you before we hit the record button is, I was reading an article of a, a psychologist and sitting, sitting down with a, a, a young patient. And this young patient said, I think I have OCD and the psychologist, a doctor said, okay, well, tell me more. What makes you think that? Well, I watched this video on TikTok of somebody saying they think they have OCD and here's the symptoms. So because they think they have the symptoms, then I think I have the symptoms. And so we create this, uh, I don't, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, uh, almost overcorrection, like <laughs> right. overgeneralization where we're watering down these very um, significant and impactful conditions. And yeah. I think, 
you know, a social media is is great, but also frustrating place because if you put a comment in there saying this is this is wrong, you're going to get attacked uh, by you know three hundred thousand other people, and uh, I don't know how I don't know how to to solve this to solve that that problem. Um, maybe we can do it in the next five to ten minutes. We can solve the world's problems and move on. But you know, yeah, big side. Could it's, I mean? I, yeah, I mean, I'll give it my best shot. <laughs> my best shot yeah okay yeah it's gonna take time right it's gonna take people sharing their stories just like with anything it's so pervasive in the workplace it's so pervasive i mean you hear it constantly in in the same vein that someone so someone organizing their sticky notes right oh i'm so ocd about my sticky notes or my my desktop uh, it's like, wait, well, hold on a second. Like you wouldn't say I'm, I'm, I mean, what, I guess what would be a similar, you wouldn't say in a, in a business meeting, this, this PowerPoint is making me suicidal. Right. But someone very well could say, oh, I see you're using two different, two different fonts on this PowerPoint and my OCD is making me notice that font. So can someone please change that? <laughs> so you can see how two, two mental illnesses of, of a similar, um, similar importance, I don't know if importance is the right word, uh, are used, it's totally different how they're used and how they're accepted. <laughs> Maybe I should start uh, an Instagram uh, a hashtag. You know, I've got so much Crohn's right now. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, if you go to the washroom more than you know once, twice a day, it's like oh, I've got so much Crohn's. It's like I'll oh, try going thirty to forty yeah. times. Yeah, yeah. Then we could talk. Then you're in, then you're at my level, and we can talk about this. But but you're absolutely right. It's pervasive in the workplace. This language, the language of Oh, they're so crazy. Oh, they're so fill in the blank. Oh, they're so OCD over this. Yep. Oh, they're so, and this might offend somebody. Some people might be squirming in their headphones right now listening to this. Because they've said it. Because they've said because it. You said it. They've said and it. And you know what? I, I, I am likely guilty of saying it too. I'm not here on a pedestal saying I've never said anything like that. But by listening to, authentic and real stories like your like yours we can start to recognize our own language and if we start recognizing our own language we will drive change and we will then the next step is to have the courage to correct other people's language right. like if somebody says oh that that person is x y or z it'd be like Oh, really? Tell me more about that. Because my friend uh, lives with OCD. And um, so how does it manifest for you? Right. And sit there in awkward silence and um, not to make fun of anyone, but to call it out. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, what, what's been interesting for me as a business owner, you know, in, in that role of being hyper aware of what I look like, how I present myself, and all the various stereotypes that go into being a female business owner, which is a whole nother conversation, but being a female business owner in a male dominated industry, 
with a lesser known mental illness. It's like, okay, what does that mean if she says I have OCD or I've, I've been diagnosed with OCD and, you know, struggled with it and it was really rough and I'm better now on my medication. Do they believe me? Firstly, if I've not established that trust yet with the client or are they thinking in the back of their mind, is she going to be not able to do her job because she's going to get distracted because she's going to have to wash her hands all the time? Or is she going to be a real weirdo and, and not be able to focus? Or maybe she seems fine now, but she's maybe next week she's going to be weird. Like all these sort of general things that's like, how do you, how do you overcome those? And going back to your point, you know, a couple minutes ago, you don't really. Unless there's the education and they want to know, then, you know, sorry, see you later, right? If they're not going to have that openness mm -hmm. and they're going, to ha they're going to judge me, then I don't have to waste my time with them. So in a way, it's a blessing because I have much more efficient, much more efficient in my acquaintances and friends and my business partners and all that. Yeah, it's... It's like we, we talk about accommodation in the workplace, you know, as an employee, employer, but as a business owner, uh, it's almost a certain description of accommodation. And if somebody's listening to this and, you know, you're in conversation with a potential client and they listen to it and say, oh, I, I, I don't know about, about this anymore. Well, maybe you should check your biases. Exactly. As as that. Check your biases. Exactly. Um, maybe you should. Um, check your uh, level of um, acceptance, your level of inclusion. Um, and maybe it's an opportunity to get curious. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's so much data and I've recorded a, a podcast with someone who's a disability recruitment expert that's coming out um, in, in, a, in a bit as well. And we talk a lot about how people with uh, disability, whether it's a parent or not a parent, work harder than those who don't they produce more and they're more loyal so if there's fear of oh they just they just uh told they just uh, trusted us with this information about their condition we don't know if we can work for them uh, or work with them or for them or whatever that looks like just remember that um you know we we work hard just as hard, if not harder than, than everyone else, because we have this to overcome this level of discrimination. Right. Um, if we're a, a consultant, uh, we're going to make you a lot of money, a client. We're, we're going to help you out and we're going to make you a lot of money. And, um, and so let's, it's time, right? We, we need to move past this and, and, and normalize it. And I think of, of OCD and, and I think of, you know, uh, the TV show America's Got Talent, you know, Howie Mandel, very famous guy, uh, also fellow Canadian. Yay. And he, he's been very um, outspoken about his OCD and his diagnosis of OCD. And do we, do we treat him any differently? No. So we, we can't treat others differently. Simple as that. Is that a generalization? Is that fair to say? Around OCD? Around OCD, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's the thing about it is that these there's these two distinct camps of it. You know, there's the intrusive thoughts, 
but then there's also the um the tendency to you know do things the habits or the the certain i guess like ticks if you will of doing certain things so and then there's overlap too i mean it's just so yeah it's 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 such a gray area of and then there's overlap in the anxiety right so you treat well at least for me you treat ocd with the same medication you would treat depression or anxiety so again, there, they, sometimes they kind of get clumped into this similar, similar, uh, uh, grouping, but I mean, yeah, I, I was, I would say that's certainly a, that's a fair statement. Yeah. I, I'm curious. So if somebody's listening to this and they know that maybe something's going on with them. They're not feeling like their old self or how they remembered themselves. What would you, what would you tell that person? Oh, I think back to my first therapy visit. I was such a mess. I remember I got in there and as soon as I sat down, I started crying hysterically. I don't even think I had a chance to even induce myself. Just having that, knowing that, you know, this was the beginning of the journey and having that safe space after trying to keep it together hour after hour truly overwhelming. Um, I would tell folks to go talk to somebody, go talk to a, a, a psychologist, um, or a psychiatrist. I mean, the psychologist is going to do more behavioral type stuff, but just speak to someone. Don't go down the WebMD rabbit hole. Don't go down TikTok. Go talk to a professional. Yeah, talk to them about what you're going through, even if it's a single visit. Uh, go and see somebody, and and get more of an idea, and don't speculate, and don't be frightened, because nothing, anyone who's listening to this, no reality is worse than the reality that's in your brain when you're dealing with this. So it's all uphill from here. There's, you're at the bottom, basically. If you're uh, un, unmedicated with OCD, you're at the bottom. Nothing possibly worse could happen to you than what you're already experiencing. So go and take that first step uh, of, of starting to, to, to figure out what's going on with you and make things better. I love that. Practical insight right there is... Don't go down Dr. Google or WebMD or social media. Seek professional help. Yeah. And there's no shame in that. There's there's no you know there's stigma. Sure, we're gonna end that stigma. And by you taking that that first step, is is gonna help end the stigma that surrounds it. And and that's kind of leads into the wrap up. Of my last question I love to end with is how how are we gonna end the stigma that surrounds invisible conditions? How we're going to end it? How are we going to? We're going to be advocates of it. We're going to recognize when it's being used inappropriately. And we're not going to insult the people or make them feel bad. Because a lot of times they just don't know, right? We're going to educate and help them learn what the difference is in a way that doesn't make them feel bad, doesn't make them feel embarrassed, 
purely education, right? I've never had a conversation with someone about OCD and they have had a negative reaction or laughed at me or scoffed at me. Never. I'm not saying it won't happen, but I think in general, people exorbitantly over fear they, what's going to happen. Even if they merely have a, an exchange with someone about you shouldn't do that. People are not going, most people are not going to yell at you and freak out, right? They're going to be embarrassed usually. And just continuing down that path of calling it out when you see it, recognizing and educating yourself on what it is. That's really all we can do right now and continue to share stories. Yeah, there's power in our stories. I, I know who there is. I've heard firsthand from people who started listening to the podcast and there is so much power in this, in stories like yours for stepping out vulnerably, uh, for seeking the help that you needed to being a functional human right. building a business has a successful business and, uh, and is focused at, at ending the stigma. I used to say, how can we, and I've switched the wording to how are we going how to, are we? I love uh, that. So we are going to end the stigma and by, by uniting our voices, that's what we're going to do. So uh, where can people find you? If people resonate with your story or people are curious about your work, the work that you do, uh, where could people find you? Sure. So you can either search for me, my name, uh, or you can search for my business name. So Alicia DeSantis. Uh, my business is 38th and Kip. Uh, so search for that. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. Um, I have, uh, if you're interested in my work, what I do, if you're interested in seeing what kind of work I produce, you can go to my portfolio, uh, which is 38thandkip.com. And, you know, I'd love to chat about it. Um, I'm an open book. Honestly, I really don't. <laughs> I, you can pretty much ask me anything and I'll answer. So, um, it's true. I've, I've asked a lot of questions on, on record and off recording and, and you are an open book Yeah, and, uh, and don't worry, we're, we're going to have all your, all your links in the show notes as well. So, uh, so if people are interested, head to invisiblecondition.com and, um, and, or wherever you get your podcast, you're, you're going to see links there. So thanks for coming on. I really enjoyed our conversation, uh, taking us into a glimpse of, of your life. That's, that's moving. And I, and I thank you for that. You're most welcome. And if anything comes of it, then we've coined a new phrase. I have so much Crohn's. I've got so much Crohn's. I've got so yeah. much Crohn's, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Only when I drink too much coffee or is, or is that too much information? I don't know. But, uh... but isn't it, isn't it ridiculous when you think of it that way, right? If you take, if you insert yeah. another illness into that phrase, it just becomes so yeah. outrageous. It does. I, I've I've got so much arthritis now, uh, right now. It's like no, you you pulled something at the gym, um, yeah. trying to look all bro or yeah. all all. Buff. You're just cold. Um, you didn't wear mittens you're outside. Just cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. My my famous one. My kids. Uh, 
really don't like this is uh, when they're not feeling well or they're stiff or sore or have a headache. I'm like, did you, did you drink enough water today? Like dad. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So we digress. Uh, That was a lot of fun. Uh, Again, thanks so much. And for those who are listening, uh, I really appreciate all the comments, all the support you've been outpouring uh, to this project. Uh, There's big things in store coming up after uh, I know we'll be releasing this episode before some more announcements, but um, please share it out, like, and subscribe, whatever you you do. um, And, um, and let me know if you, if you have a story that you feel called to share, let me know. And you can find all that, that uh, information on the website, invisibleconditioned.com. And I hope everyone has just a fantastic day. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.